Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan here at the Wondery Sunset Studios. I'm a writer and producer. I live in Los Angeles, and I survived the invasion of the BTS Army this weekend at the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah. You're in the—oh, they were all there, right? K-popping it. Yeah, K-popping it. (laughs) It It was nuts. That's all I have to say. It was nuts. Did you set up a little stand that maybe sells some fruit juice, sparkling water? I think my I think my husband's going to write some strongly worded letters, Julie, about the okay. traffic management. So stay tuned. Okay. Stay tuned for the follow up. Uh, I'm Liz Dolan. I'm the middle sister. I'm here with Leanne at the Wondery Studios. I'm uh, on again, off again business person, but I was kind of I got a little derailed last night, sisters, prepping for today's show, watching the live arrivals at the Met Gala. So I had an early morning start to catch up with some of our prep. Okay. I'm Julie Dolan. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm the oldest sister. I'm an empty nester. I'm an urban nana. And actually, I'm on assignment this week with my three grandchildren here in Dallas. But I brought along my dog, Oliver. Maybe not such a good idea. So far, he's eaten a soccer ball, two or three Lego pieces. I can't be sure. And a bottle of bubbles. I don't know. Oh, I wow. Think really? That's oh, like a yeah. cartoon dog. <laughs> yeah. The bubbles coming out of his mouth. I haven't seen that yet, but we're waiting. But the kids are good. The kids are good. So So far. So far. So far. (laughs) All right. We have a full show. We're excited to have a guest here in the studio with us. Coming in later on is poet Kim Dower, because we're going to let a little poetry into your lives. We are. We need some, I think. I'm a little scared of poetry. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I like children's poetry. I don't read a lot of it as adults. So uh, so I think this is going to be really interesting today. Julie, the, Kim's poems are so accessible to the Satellite Sisters audience because they are literally about dogs <laughs> making coffee. There's a whole poem about toast that okay. I'm going to like how Beautiful. much she loves her appliances, right. okay. particularly her toaster. Like, don't worry, it's not iambic pentameter. You're going to you're going to be able to hang with Kim. So she'll be in later on in the show. We also are going to talk about really a, an astonishing article in the New York Times Magazine section last week. Women did everything right. Then work got greedy. How Americans' obsession with long hours has widened the gender gap. Oh, super. So <laughs> talk about that. We have a lot to say about that. Yes, we do. Uh, we also have uh, the headline that I loved most this week is Dancing the New Kale. Yes, it is. Going to tell you the best. Well, that's good news. It's great news. Yes. It's great news. Uh, more dancing, too. We're going to talk a little bit about the FX show Fosse Verdon. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Liz, you have a follow-up to forgetting your car I at do. the airport. Many people do idiotic things, Liz. True confessions in the Satellite <laughs> Sisters Facebook group. So many idiotic things. I, just, I picked out a couple of my faves. But first, who's kidding who? The big news of the week, the royal baby. Julie, take it away. Yeah, this is really, your Super Bowl. It was Bowl. a blockbuster yeah. <laughs> weekend for royal news. Let's first start with welcoming baby Sussex. He's here. He is our very own Anglo-American prince. Yeah. Are you looking- I know. We got to be thrilled and uh, delighted. Uh, You know, the Satellite Sisters have extended our well wishes to to the new little family. Uh, He came in at a very respectable weight, Mm -hmm. seven pounds, three ounces. That is a good size baby, right, Leanne? Not too big, though. Like solid. Not too big, not too small. Yeah. You know, yesterday, as everybody knows, we all got the alert uh, that uh, the Duchess was in the early stages of labor. And I sent both of you an early morning text about that. I wanted you up out of bed. And then, boom, 30 minutes later, right, she had the baby. So (laughs) I don't think really that's how it went down at all. But that's okay. Uh, You know, apparently the baby was born early in the morning, but they made the announcement later because... I, you know, Leanne, I, I went into a, a whole thing of worrying about her. This was her first baby. She's in early stages of labor. They're going to give her the Pitocin. It's going to drag on. You know, I just, I wasn't thinking good things, but uh, it was, there it is. The baby is uh, born. Um, and Prince Harry just, is he not delighted? Have you seen the videos of him uh, rocking back and forth? They call it a happy feet. You know, he was just gushing about the baby, right? Yes. Yeah, although Liz did have a question. Here's my question, Julie. Why is he standing between a couple of horses? Like, (laughs) could you do anything more British than, like, have a horse over each one of your... He's, like, in the stable. Was the baby born in a manger? Like, what what is happening that it's it's Harry and two horses? (laughs) Two horses. Maybe a couple corgi by his feet. I like that he was wearing a big, heavy sweater in May because it's England. You know, that's uh, that was nice. That's true. Nothing could have been more British than that whole thing. The heavy sweater, the horses. But he did look super happy. He did. And, you know, he just uh, he was just gushing about it. Uh, you know, uh, William and Kate have have well, they as well have uh, sent their good wishes. They are thrilled. I mean, you know, it's I mean, it's no easy thing to have a baby and certainly not a royal baby. Right. Uh, she apparently had hoped to have the baby at home uh, at their new place. But they did, in fact, sneak to a hospital to have the baby. So that mm-hmm. was pretty good. That that was all kept under wraps. And I'm glad for her. I'm also just thrilled and delighted. As much as, as wonderful as Kate was to get all dressed up and put those high heels on and carry the baby out the hospital door and meet the press right after she's given birth, I don't think new mothers should be expected to do that. No. Right, Liam? No. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a high, high standard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kate yeah. will be queen and Megan's just, <laughs> Megan won't be. So that's yes. cool. Yeah. Like she doesn't yeah. have to be that. Right. Little reality yeah. check. <laughs> Little reality check. And, and, you know, I know we're going to see wonderful pictures. I mean, there's going to be great hair. There's going to be great lighting. There's going to be draping. We are not going to see any of those pictures. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Those birth pictures yeah. where both mom and the baby look all blotchy yeah. and nobody's wearing any clothes. And, you know, they said, oh, we'll just take the picture from, from your head up. Don't worry. You know, you know, those 
You never look good in those, no, right? You don't. No. But you look. I, know. I, I mean, mean, some they're... people do. I don't look. I, I didn't look good in those. I should just say that. But so, they're special uh, photos to you personally, but yes. not photos you want to release to the world. Is what I would right. say. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. that's the best way to say it. Right. So yeah, it's fine to be blotchy at home, but but we're not going to see any of those. We are going to see beautiful Hollywood quality baby <laughs> pictures. Uh, there was also a report, and I'm very interested on this. Of course, Doria was there. Nana. Uh, we don't know what her given name will be yet. Take your time. This you is know, Megan's mom, right? Megan's mom. Yes. Okay. Megan's mom. Yes. Well, Leanne, we're, this is our baby. <laughs> I know. I'm just, somebody, there you know, somebody, somebody really might not know. Clarify. Somebody well, might not know. Re- <laughs> Go ahead. There was a report that she has, uh, she has taken special grandparenting lessons. Uh, I think she's going to be a natural at it. Uh, again, I'm not really close to her, but <laughs> I'm just... I'm just thinking because I just feel like she's going to be a real natural, a real help to Megan as they as they get going these first couple of days. But she did uh, she did take some grandparenting lessons from some uh, a woman named Brandy Jordan, who is sort of a baby whisperer to the stars who charges seven thousand dollars to help uh, help you uh, make your baby sleep through the night, that Mm. kind of thing. Have you ever taken lessons, Jewel? Did you urban Nana any training? I had our mother. Oh, true. Right. yeah, yeah, that was that was those were the lessons. But you mean in terms as a grand no, as a grandparent? Out, no, as soon as you see that baby, you're just you know you just <laughs> over melt, the moon, okay? over the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that I think that will be just very exciting. No name as of yet, but I and this is where I'm sure. I, here's my prediction. Here's mm-hmm. my royal prediction. Mm-hmm. I want to hear yours. He's going to get some name like Arthur, Philip, George, James, Richard, you know, Louis, yeah. or, yeah. you know, like four names, all former kings. But then they're going to give him some really cute little um, zippy nickname. That's okay. what I think. Oh, what that's, I, I can't top that. That seems like I'm with you, Julie. Let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that, that he gets a cute nickname. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, because so nobody wants to have a baby named Arthur. Oh wait, that's your husband's name. <laughs> okay, thanks. It's a very fine name. You know, there Which, was a king. Can remember him? Yeah. I know, but your husband Arthur never used that name too. So yeah. that's a good way to go. Like, yeah. you need a yeah. nickname if if your name is Arthur. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So this so, is a little funny side story. Barrick was my husband was walking down the street yesterday in Pasadena. Yeah. Just to take new listeners back, Meghan Markle was the prom queen at my son's high school. Yes. That is a for reals story. Okay. <laughs> so the the be the Reuters was there trying to get some man on the street perspective on the royal birth, and they stopped my husband. Who? No way. Who, Last As you have established. Does not care. <laughs> Almost about anything that we care about. So they said, what do you think about the royal baby? And he said, well, I wish my wife was here because she really cares, but I don't. <laughs> and then he changed tactics. Like he turned on the camera and was like, do you think people in America care about the royal baby? He goes, no one cares about the royal baby. And so Reuters, well, if you're listening, <laughs> we care about the royal baby. We, we I, certainly do care. I, I okay. think of that little baby as a golden knight because that, that was that's the school. That's the high school, St. Francis High School in La Cunada, where Megan was the prom queen. They're the golden knights. So that's my little golden knight. So there you go, yeah. Reuters. Quote me. They literally could not have picked a worse person to talk to. Yeah, than I know. Your husband. I know. He is like the only person in America that doesn't care about the baby. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm sure if they he said Megan alone, yeah, with them. yeah. It's true. So it is unbelievable. Okay, carry on, Joel. Uh, 
But but we do salute his right to free speech, Leon. I guess. <laughs> I guess. There was one nice part of the news that I heard this morning, Julie, that they were very careful when they alerted the grandparents, that is like the queen and uh, uh, and Doria. Is it Doria or Daria? Doria, right? Doria. Doria. Yes. That they also made sure that Diana's family got alerted at the exact same time. They wanted to make sure that like he would Harry was thinking of his mom and all of the relatives on his mom's side. So that's what you love about Harry. Right. He just seems like yeah. that kind of guy. Right. Right. Very nice. So I just all around just uh, just an excellent, excellent uh, baby, baby report. And we're going to we look forward to the names. We look forward to the pictures, the cute outfits. This is going to keep us busy for years to come. Right. <laughs> yes. The we're distraction just, uh, factor is so key right now. Yes. Yeah. Thank Plus, you. Thank you, Meghan Markle. Yeah, he's an yeah. American. Yeah, it's he's, great. Yeah, he's our Anglo-American <laughs> prince. He's our prince, okay? We never really had one. Now we have one. But that was not the only royal report this weekend. I We also have to welcome and celebrate the new king of Thailand. The king of Thailand was crowned this weekend. They have a new king. This is the first time in 70 years King Maha Vajir Alongkrong. That's his first name. Nice. His last name is 23 letters. Liz, do you want to take a crack at no, that last name? No, no. but I do no, want to say that, uh, that no. you know, if the, this would be the opposite of the royal baby. If you stop someone, if Reuters stopped people on the street here and said, so how do you feel? And the, the Thai king, how are you feeling <laughs> about that? They would need to find you, Julie, because you <laughs> lived in Thailand for yes. for many years, and uh-huh. you really enjoyed the Thai culture, and you learned a lot about the Thai royal family. So you are the perfect person to present this story. I know. So uh, I can't pronounce his last name, but the good news is I hear they're going to refer to him as King Rama the Tenth, which is very easy to say. But yeah. they've had a three day. It's it's bigger than an extravaganza because an extravaganza really can't. It doesn't have enough gold and guilt on it because this thing was just over the top with pop, processions, gold, more gold, more guilt, and then maybe a little bit more. Everyone in the country, it seemed like, had a yellow T-shirt on because that's the royal color. People were excited for their new king. They, they love the old king. And now this is the son. He's 65 years old. He's he's lived a life. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to say anything disparaging because he's the king. He has a, there's a new queen too, Queen Sutita. And she had quite really I think Liz on your other show uh-huh. if you were going to you know because you do a show safe for work about careers and career paths, if you if you ever give an awards for outstanding career path, you have to give it to Queen Sutita because she started off as a flight attendant and now she's a queen. And okay. that is... <laughs> okay. Wow. Well done. That is pretty good. That's right? some unexpected so, outcomes. Good for you. Yes. Yeah, she is the fourth wife of, of the king, um, but she seemed pretty happy up there and she was waving and uh, it's very exciting. I'm glad that he's kind of pulled it together and he's going to be the king and he, he said some kingly statements. So I, I think that's good news for Thailand. It's a country I love and I know many people have visited it. And uh, hats off to the king yeah. and to the new prince. Yeah. So, I'd rather have a baby than a 65-year-old, though, just as a, you know, if I'm going to sign up to royal watch, <laughs> any royals. Well, I mean, he really brought the royal, Liz. I yeah. mean, there was it was quite a procession. You can view it online. I mean, you know, he was just, 
It just was an extravaganza, and the whole country seemed to be participating in it. So uh, I think that's good. Okay. All right. Congrats, Thailand. Yeah. All right. I have a little follow-up to a story from last week. On last week's podcast, I confessed that the week before, I had landed in Los Angeles, coming home from a business trip, and... um, Sorry, I just, I just got a text from Leanne. <laughs> uh, isn't she sitting right next yes. to you? Telling yeah. you to move it along. Yeah, no, I'm just... I know, I'm I know. Just, I see what it is. I'm informing Julie yeah. that we were cutting a story. <laughs> Two at a time, yeah. Okay. I didn't know you had your phone still on. <laughs> I'm not supposed to do that. I know. You okay. would think by now I would at least have the ringer turned off. So, uh, anyway, so I got home to LAX. I got in a lift car. I started to go home, and then I, like had the realization that I had driven myself to the airport. My car was actually parked at the airport, so I had to turn around and go back and get my car. So I confessed this on the show and put it in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group and asked, have you done similar, slightly idiotic things that you think, I can't believe I just did that? There are many, many fantastic answers there, really. I encourage you to just go read them. And if you're not a member of the Satellite Sisters Facebook group, I just don't know what you are waiting for. You should just go join. Uh, so, um, but one in particular I wanted to, um, was also car related. Uh, Kathy posted a story that starts with this sentence. I accidentally stole a rental car. So, <laughs> she said, my husband booked my rental using his Hertz Gold member account. I got to the airport rental place and saw a Kathleen later on the gold board. Although my name is Kathleen Douglas, my husband is Ron Laudner. I just assumed they made a mistake and spelled the name wrong. So I told the guy at the gate that my name was spelled wrong. That's what I was thinking as I read this. Right, because they, they should not let you out of the parking lot with the wrong car. So she said they must have spelled my name wrong, yada, yada, yada. He just waved me through. No questions, no ID. I went on my way, did my business, returned the car, and when I got home, I said to my husband, uh, that's weird you went, rented me a Jeep with no GPS. And he said, I didn't rent you a car. <laughs> <laughs> so, oops, sorry, Kathleen later took your car and never was charged. <gasps> yeah. Oh, wow. Because, of course, the bill would automatically go to the person who made the res. So that was a good one, Kathy. That yep. is a good one. You managed to pull that off. I, I'm going to confess here that I was also an accessory after the fact to a car theft, a rental car theft. I arrived in a city with a colleague. We picked up a rental car. She was driving. We went to our hotel, like checked in, and then went out to dinner. And when we came out from dinner, when the valet brought the car around, we just got in the car and drove back to our hotel. And in the morning, she told me that in the middle of the night, she got a call from the restaurant. They had tracked down who she was, like through Hertz or Avis. She had taken someone else's car, like a uh, private individual's car. Oh. And our rental car was back at the restaurant, so they had to, like, do a little sleuthing around. And they wanted her to drive back to the restaurant to return the car. She's like, no way, really. If you want you want your car, you, you can come and get it. So in the middle of the night, they came and got their car. So I feel sorry for the person who actually owned the car, but there's no way she was leaving the hotel in the middle of the night to return it. So, yes, this is what happens in, like, work, travel, all kinds of things. You just don't pay attention to right. some of the details. Like... Yeah, your rental car. The, no, nobody remembers what their rental car looks like. Anyway, thank you for um, 
for all of your uh, all of your notes here. A special award to this is like as chill as you're going to get. Here's one story. My husband was scheduled for heart surgery, a quadruple bypass. We forgot to set the alarm and missed the whole thing. Now, that's pretty chill. If you if I was having a quadruple bypass, I don't think I'd be sleeping at all. Never mind sleeping through the appointed time. So, yeah, congrats for that. That I a special award. Anyway, thank you for your contributions to some of your own uh, missteps, foibles, and uh, idiotic moves. If you are a new listener to the Satellite Sisters podcast, we want to welcome you. We know we've been getting a lot of new listeners lately, and we're very happy to have you. Very. As Liz said, we do have a Facebook group. It's a closed group where people can post all all kinds of polite and uplifting (laughs) and spiritually lovely things. (laughs) Uh, You can ask to join the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. If you're looking for extra shows, we have 800, 1,000 of them. We have a lot of shows. You can find everything you need at SatelliteSisters.com or whatever platform you are uh, listening to this on Mm -hmm. now. But we Mm want to welcome you to the show. Great to have you. Welcome. Great to have you. Liz, you know we love talking about FrameBridge, don't we? We do. (laughs) Because because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leanne, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone, and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would I, I you like did. to share? Would you like you know, to? I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah. Any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already framebridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the Framebridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, great for gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but Framebridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds you like- you're going to be happy, okay? Yeah. That's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit Framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's Framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge. Go, Joel, go. And we're back. We're back. We're, uh, well, you know, at Satellite Sisters, for many, for all, for the entire time in uh, of our existence, we have always championed women in the workplace, women advancing in the workplace, getting more women in the workplace, getting more women to advance in the workplace. So it was particularly depressing to read the New York Times article by Claire Kane Miller that came out just over a week ago with the title, Women Did Everything Right then work got greedy. How America's obsession with long hours has actually widened the gender gap. 
So even though, I know, isn't this depressing? So So even though women are working of working age are more educated than ever, educated women are still facing the biggest gender gap. Uh, And this gender gap uh, is particularly noticeable with when you uh, think about family friendly policies. So this article was about specifically only one group. These are heterosexual couples where they're both working and uh, and that that because certain fields such as finance, law, and consulting, where women have gone on to get advanced degrees in business and law, et cetera, that they are finding that these fields are requiring even longer work hours so that it makes it almost impossible for both for working couples for working parents to have children and both be in careers uh, with, that are requiring long hours you know that because of email and social media that it's not enough to work all day in the office then you have to respond to email all evening. I see this with my own, um, my own son and daughter-in-laws, how hard they work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always felt, Liz and Leanne, that we worked really hard when yeah. we were their age. Mm-hmm. I think they work even harder. You know, there's no doubt about it because they, in addition to family time at night, all of them like go and work more hours and there, and some of them aren't even in the greedy, the, what they're calling these greedy professions. Liz, you're kind of our expert on this. What was your take on this article? Yeah. You know, I had never heard the term greedy professions. I think it's, but it's super descriptive and the, in the story and I, there's a link in the show notes, the term was coined by a sociologist named Louis Koser to describe institutions that he said seek exclusive and undivided loyalty. And I, I think they just do want all of your time. And it's not just the uh, the media side of it, the being online. It's that so much more travel is expected, so much, all of these businesses that they name, they say they're essentially client service businesses, right? If you're a, like a, a lawyer or a consultant, if your client wants to talk to you and it's Sunday night, you had better be available. So it really is, you know, when you look at how, how much extra time is getting sucked up, the point that they make is that it has actually widened the gender gap because it's just impossible for both members of the couple to kind of keep up with these kinds of demands, which is why it is most often the woman who kind of steps back um, to do more of the the work that needs to get it done at home. It is super depressing, Julie. It is. You know, one of I the... I know, and they... they yeah, go ahead, Leanne. One of the things that struck me about the article was the researchers went in with the assumption that if you have these two lawyer couples, two yeah. consultant couples, which very often happens, people tend to marry people of the same educational, uh, st- you know, mm-hmm. stage as they are. So they thought they would see this 50-50 work split, like they're both working 50 hours a week and coming home. That's what they anticipated. And what they saw is that was just not possible that the women, they haven't opted out of work. They've right. just stepped back to part-time, and now the men are working 80 hours. Yeah. So somebody is still getting their 100 hours of work, the corporate America, but it's women working 20, men working 80, and the percentage, that was just wildly out of balance. And the line that really stuck with me was that, uh, let me read it, women don't step back from work because they have rich husbands. They have rich husbands because they step back from work. Yeah. So yeah. think about that, like, the man is allowed to go off and super achieve at his job 
because he literally never has to worry about, oh, my God, where are the children? Because yes, like, right. yeah. the woman is working part time and she is managing those people. And that really stuck with me. You know, another now, this, another thing that really stuck with me is they said there are lots of ideas. We've, we talked about it all the time on my other show, Safe for Work, ideas about how to close the gender gap. We talk about paid parental leave. We talk about right. anti-bias training. Everyone says women should negotiate better. Men should do more housework. And, you know, and those are all fine, fine. But what they're actually saying in this story that really none of that is going to work. Right. Because the exactly. ultimate solution is not to make it possible for mothers to work crazy hours, too. The ultimate solution is to reorganize work so that nobody has to work crazy hours. Right, Joel? That's what you're seeing in your kids and their spouses. Right. I, I know that it's there. The article says that ma it's like the mad men that, you know, what that the TV show, that system is still in place. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, this article only looked at heterosexual couples, not, you know, single sex couples. And and there are other challenges for other family configurations. But this this was, you know, just it was so discouraging, Liz, because, you know, they all of these things that we think might make a difference, such as just as you mentioned, parental leave, anti-bias training, so training marginal, so marginal, it's still it's still marginal. And there's no there's no good answer to this, you know, so uh, it's as if the nature of the very nature of work has changed. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a, there's some good examples in this story. I really encourage everyone to read it. Yes. Like, here's one that I thought, like, thanks for nothing. Uh, it says, at an elite global consulting firm, one team gave everyone one week night off, no calls or emails, one night a week. Really? That's right. like yeah. the best you can do versus they they looked at the field of obstetrics. And it used to be that obstetricians, obstetricians were on call all the time whenever patients went into labor. But now it's much more common for them to work eight-hour shifts in a hospital. And guess what? That's why many more women do the work right. because it is manageable. It's an actual shift, which is much easier for them to manage. It's really like there are so many great details in here about how we got ourselves into this. Well, one of the yeah, lines. Go ahead, Joel. We all and have they a lot were to also say. saying that parenting is right. is harder right. than it was in the eighties. That it's much more time intensive, and that it requires you know. And so, so parents are not getting a break any way around. You know, it's they're at their expectations to work harder, to work longer, and at the same time to invest more in the time than than we did. I guess. Yeah, and let's just say without Urban Nana. Your kids wouldn't even be making that work, right? Because <laughs> no, I know you fill in I know. a and lot of gaps in, for them. They're not in the typically greedy professions that are listed here. But I do have this sense that they're just all working, and maybe this is true of many, many, you know, grown children too. I that everybody is working so hard, such long hours, and they're they're they seem so stressed out. I worry about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the yeah. grind, the grind. One of the lines that struck me, yeah. too, at the end, they profiled a lawyer, like a two-lawyer family. And again, she did not think this is the way it was going to work out, that she was only working. You know, you're working 20 hours mm -hmm. you're, and you're probably you're probably working more than that, getting paid less. Like we all know the dangers yeah. of part time work. Right. Like there's almost no such thing. <laughs> so she's working 20 hours. And she said at the end something that's pretty haunting. She said, had I known this was how it was going to work out, I probably wouldn't have taken out all those loans to go to law school. Yeah. And that really... That's like, depressing. That really kind of makes you rethink a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Plus, it just struck me, 
I was talking about this with my husband. And I said, you know, there are a lot of really educated women in their 40s wandering around looking for something to do now because Mm -hmm. they did step back. And now I see them. I know them. They're my friends. The kids get older Mm -hmm. and they're like, now I would really like a job, but I'm so far behind. Like my resume doesn't hold up. He goes, I should look to hire some of those women in their 40s (laughs) with MBAs. They would be perfect for me. I'm like, yes. There's a whole like highly trained, you know, workforce out there that – Corporate America has no idea how to access. Yeah. And these women have no idea how to opt back in. Yeah. So someone... And even when they opt back in, though, we shouldn't be demanding that everyone work 80 no. hours a week. That has just got no. to change. No. Okay. Well, we settled that. That Woo. has got to change. Okay. We just have okay. to bring the whole system down. <laughs> All right. Fight the power, people. Once again, patriarchy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Liz, let's just do a little bit of dancing here. Let's just okay. do a little bit of good news about dancing. I had several people send me this and post this on my Facebook page, and I appreciate it. As you know, I've been doing some ballroom dancing and some dance dancing for the last couple of years, and new studies out this in the last couple of years, the New York Times reporting, confirming that dancing is the new kale. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it. It's going to keep me young, Liz. It's going to yes. keep me limber. Good, good It's going to keep All me right. thinking. Anything's better than eating that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So a 2017 German report said that uh, people who danced, and especially social dance, we have a lot of interaction, it can actually increase the size of your hippocampus region mm. of the brain. Mm. So that's learning, memory, and equilibrium. Really? Dance improves your balance. I mean, that's it. They okay, well, that makes at, sense when you put it that way. Right. Another study said same thing. Dance can better balance in older adults. That's the long-term tango dancing they were recommending. So, Liz, oh. Julie, oh. you guys went to Argentina. I know. That. We saw some tango dancing, didn't we, We did. Yeah. We saw some serious tango. Yeah. So, But yeah. don't underestimate balance because, as we all know, falls become actually really serious when yeah. you're older. That's like a, mm-hmm. So in, in terms of extending your life, you're going to want to work on your balance. Tango, okay. tango dancing. And then this one is just good news. They said dancing, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, Dancing, learning dance steps is the equivalent to all those crossword puzzles people are doing to keep their minds sharp. Yes. That it's like learning the steps of a dance, which can be very, very complicated, as yes. I mentioned before. I can see that, Liam. Yeah, yes. that that is very similar to solving crossword puzzles and staving away any kind of dementia. And a lot like more that. fun. And a lot, well, yeah, I mean, some well, people love it. depends what you like. But yeah. I, I think it's a lot more fun. It's jazzy, Liz. It's jazzy jazz. <laughs> And then I want to thank uh, my friend Sheila, who sent me, my my hometown girl, Sheila, from Southport, Connecticut, who sent me Dancing Nana on Instagram. I don't know if you're following Dancing Nana yet. I am now. Well, please do. I am. She is 96 years old, and she is killing it on the dance floor. And she's not just shuffling around like, oh, look at her. She is dancing. She is executing choreography and teaching people to dance. So if you need a little inspiration on Insta. Go to Dancing Nana, at Dancing Nana. It's fun to follow her. Okay. Speaking of dancing, on Saturday night, I binged the first four episodes of Fosse Verdon on FX. Have you been watching this at all, Julie? No, but I know people on the Facebook group are recommending it, Liz. How is it? It is really great. I mean, it's a little bit dark. It's a very serious story, but from a pure dance perspective, okay, well, here's one reason you have to at least watch episode one, Julie. The first number in the first episode is the same 
big spender number from Sweet Charity that Leon and her dance troupe did earlier this year. Yes. So I have the ultimate compare and contrast of Leon's group doing big spender and the Bob Fosse TV show Gwen Verdon doing. But you know they really they really kill like the first. There's so many great sequences across all four episodes where they're choreographing um, new numbers, they're figuring it out, but they're trying to tell the story at the same time. Like, if you're just interested in the creative process and it has all that cool Broadway vibe because it's directed by Tommy Kale, who directed Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda, was one of the executive producers. It's got everything, this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and And it's got Michelle Phillips. So Michelle, oh no, Michelle, Michelle Williams. Williams. I always call her Michelle Phillips. <laughs> so Michelle Williams plays Gwen Verdon. And mm-hmm. the reason they uh, named the show Fosse Verdon, the creators of the TV show, is because they felt like Gwen Verdon never got the credit she deserved for being such a close collaborator with her husband, Bob Fosse. Okay, but, I like that. Yes. I mean, dancing, a very greedy pr- profession. Yes, yes, let's give them equal billing. Mm-hmm. So she was a huge star when he was a nobody. And then they got married, and guess what? Their roles reversed, and all of a sudden he was the huge star. But he depended on her a lot for really figuring out some of these moves for she's like in the editing room when he's editing cabaret, things like that. So you see their relationship develop and spoiler alert, it does not go well. Right. That part of it is a little bit depressing. And so you watch Michelle Williams go from being this huge Broadway star to being total second banana to her philandering drug addicted husband. So there is there is a little bit of that. But (laughs) everything Just a touch. Just a touch. Just a touch. So it's it's adult. I'll say this. It's adult television. It's adult right? television. Yeah, it's adult television. But I, it's really, really well done. Very dramatic. It's beautiful and it's sad and it's a great story and it's so much of like our theater culture in America and you see how things got created. I am really loving it. So I'm not sure how many total episodes there are because... So I think I've seen all the ones that have actually run already, but I would recommend. Leon, you've have you been enjoying? Yes, it? I have been enjoying yes. it. Yes, because you know, big fan of Bob Fosse, Gwen Verdon, Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. Yeah, and of course, I did Pippin in high school. Oh, so that's right. The last, so oh. the last episode, episode was, four, is all about Pippin. Uh, that episode was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Yes. So are you dancing and watching at the same time, Leon? <laughs> here's that's what, what here is what I'm doing, Julie. I watched the episode, and then the next day on Spotify, I'm just listening to all the music they played. So mm-hmm. they did this Pippin episode. First of all, the sanitized version of Pippin. We did in high school was nothing like the actual Pippin. I, when I saw Pippin as an adult, I'm like, wait, what? That show is about sex? That's not what we, I thought it was about medieval history. I mean, in high school, we did a very sanitized version. Well, but that was a brilliant hour of television. Yes. And then for the next 72 hours, I just listened to this Pippin soundtrack. So wow. that I that is yeah. They or then so you start to go down the rabbit hole where you look at you look up all of Gwen Fosse's yeah. dances on yeah. YouTube uh-huh. and her appearances on the Tonys, and it's fantastic. Right. So it is good. Dance, dance, dance. All right. If you like dance or if you like theater, Broadway, <laughs> it's it's just got it all. It does. And it, the drama. Yeah. And, the, and yeah. great acting. And, you know, it's fantastic. So I think it's like six or seven episodes. Yeah. It's not a lot. No. So there's still time to get on board. Right. Like, yeah. Right. FX. And you can binge it somewhere. Yes. I don't know where. Okay. All right. Hulu. Uh, it's probably on Hulu if you have Hulu. Anyway, whatever. You can find it. Google. <laughs> Google it. I have- That's not Liz's <laughs> problem where you watch it. Nope, you're right, Julie. (laughs)
It's called Fosse Verdon on FX. There you, just, you go. You're a grown up. Just Google it yourself. Our job here is done. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Coming up, we have Kim Dower coming in. She is a poet, and she's going to let us let a little poetry into our lives. I see her waiting here in the studio. That's exciting. But first, I want to thank a couple of sponsors. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling there with your your butcher box. What what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in in Bend for a part of the summer, I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what what I'm recommending. Yeah, (laughs) either way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz. Right. Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is (laughs) (laughs) nice. That's nice. (laughs) Nice to have something familiar there. (laughs) Yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at ButcherBox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for a year offer plus Get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. We are so happy to be bringing you all a little poetry thanks to our next guest, Kim Dower. Her new collection of poems is called Sunbathing on Tyrone Powers' Grave. And we're happy to have her. First of all, you look fab. You I mean, do. Thank you. You've been on this breakneck book yeah. tour, but you're bringing it with the style points and the color, Kim. Yeah, the Met well, people last night have nothing on you, <laughs> I have to keep myself awake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I try to dress like my book cover. Oh. So my book cover is very orangey and pink and, you know, sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave. So a little Hollywood, a little color, a little L.A., you yeah, know. Yeah, I love it. Okay, we're gonna, we'll are gonna we take a photo afterwards. You can hold up the oh. book cover and we'll get it. Oh, that's okay. We don't yeah. have to do that. <laughs> we can cut no, your head off. We're doing it, Kim. <laughs> hey, that's the way this works now. All right? Okay. got to put it all out there. All right, you girls are very bossy. <laughs> There's, that is for sure. Kim grew up in New York City. She now lives in L.A. This is your fourth collection of poetry from Red Hen Press, a big fan of their work. And you recently completed your reign as the Poet Laureate of West Hollywood. Indeed, yes. What did you do for that gig? Oh, I did a lot, and I loved every minute of it. Uh, I live in West Hollywood, so it's a great community, I'm sure, as you know. And uh, I, my job was to bring poetry to the people, 
So um, basically, I came up with ideas. I did a collaborative poem, which was really fun. So I had a sheet of prompts, and I would go impose myself, like at Book Soup or Yogurt Place or bars. You know, <laughs> basically, people all the West Hollywood hangouts. <laughs> yeah, well, the places where people <laughs> like poetry, right? Yeah, right. Yogurt bars. But basically, yeah. people don't like poetry. I mean, I shouldn't say that on the show because I'm here to talk about poetry. But people are afraid of poetry. Yes, they, they are. really are. They're afraid. It's like you're going to give them an inoculation or something. And mm-hmm. and uh, so part of what I was doing was to make people not afraid of it. So when I would engage someone, they would answer a prompt, and then I had hundreds and hundreds of lines. And I put them all together and did a collaborative poem, and we made posters. That's one of the things that I did. And I went into the schools. I taught some workshops for older people at Plummer Park. Uh, I was I did a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of miss it. I, I put together poetry readings. We did a big event for Route 66 because that goes through West Hollywood. Oh, right. And so everyone wrote poems about the Sunset Riots and when the rock and roll, you know, the riots up there and they had to close the clubs. So there was a lot of community involvement. And, uh, and I still teach free workshops, by the way, at the West Hollywood Library on San Vicente, a beautiful library up the street yeah, from where yeah. we are right now. For To teach people to write poetry or it, to appreciate poetry? It's sort of both. It's a uh-huh. workshop. You can be very advanced. You can have never written in your life. But we read poetry. We talk about it. We do prompts. You know, you know I was listening to your show before this, and you're talking about dancing yes. being a way to, uh, well, just have fun and better than doing crossword puzzles. Well, you know, when people ask what's the difference between poetry and prose, you know, poetry is dancing and prose is right is is walking, really. Oh, oh, oh that oh. is I'm going I wanted to talk to you about that. I get that 100% because yeah. writing prose as a uh-huh. as a novelist myself and you write poetry and I heard you I was doing my research so I heard you on a, a great podcast writers on writing that's produced by UCI. And you were saying there's one poem, for instance, in your book uh, that just flowed through you, just came pouring out. It's yeah. a beautiful poem called Thirst, oh, really powerful you. and moving about your father. And I was like, never in my life as a, as a writer would I ever use the phrase anything came pouring out of me because that's just not the na- – I mean, that's just not the nature of writing prose. Yes, that's right. So what right. does that feel like when something comes pouring out it, of you? It, it feels good. Yeah. It feels really good. You know, some poems – are are more tedious to write. You have an idea and it doesn't quite move quickly enough or you'll have a line and you'll put it away. But some poems, as that one did, it, it hit me. I could feel it coming through my body, really, mm-hmm. it, it, without sounding too new agey here. But it is, for me, the most spiritual experience I'll ever have is writing a poem. But I was in the garden uh, where I, you know, we have a little garden in the backyard, and I was looking at the roses, and I could feel my father, who died 20 years ago, but I could feel him looking at those roses with me. He he would have loved them, and that's what I thought. He would have loved them, and then I, my head started to fill up with thoughts about that moment, which because poetry is a moment expanded, it's a thought expanded, and I didn't talk. Or say, you know, I just walked right upstairs and started typing. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible to yeah. me as a writer. Mm-hmm. But you could feel it in that poem. There was an immediacy to that poem. Mm, that's in, nice. In St. Kim's new book, Sunbathing on Tyrone Powers' Grave. Um, but 
that sound it does sound a little mystical, but most yeah. of your poems are super duper accessible. Yes. If I can use that word. Like yeah. oh, please. it's like yeah. everything people we talk about on Satellite Sisters. You have mm-hmm. a poem about like how you make an awesome pot of coffee. No one <laughs> believes it. You, you just eyeball it. You have a whole poem about the misery of air travel. Yeah. You know? yeah. We're um, always talking about that. I yeah. loved your poem just about where you pull off the perfect parallel parking experience just <laughs> wow. nailed it parallel parking yeah and then one of the things we've been talking about for years on satellite sisters is toast okay we love toast we love we, our morning well, toast we personally saved toast Kim we probably didn't know that yeah. toast was on the way out we brought it back yeah I love that Julie it, was it a particular I hope it was whole wheat or raisin or something but we brought it all back good, I mean it was good. just it was sort of out of style and Leon and I just said no no we're saving okay. See, now there's a title for a poem, Julie, right there. Toast is out of style. (laughs) And this is where I find poems. You know, it's like the Seinfeld show used to say the show's about nothing. So my poems are about nothing, but they're about everything. So, uh, you know, I was listening to your ads before I came on, and you were talking about a deodorant. and, And Leanne said, you know, this is a deodorant you can enjoy. Uh-huh. And I wrote that down because they're, they're, thank you for that prompt, a deodorant you can enjoy. <laughs> and then you just start writing about it. And the great, the beauty is you don't know what will come out uh-huh. when you're doing that. You know, you sit down, you do automatic writing, you don't think, you don't lift your pen, you put the timer on for five minutes. By the time you get finished with a deodorant you can enjoy, you're talking about your mother and yeah. her jewelry and why she took you to school too late, you know, because her deodorant was drawing. I mean, yeah. you'll you'll get back to to that. Right. Um, but right. do you believe everybody can write poetry? Oh gosh, you know, everybody can try. <laughs> <laughs> Same with dancing, I guess. Good luck. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think everybody can sit down. And think of a prompt or get a prompt and not lift their pen for five minutes and be shocked and surprised with what comes out. Mm-hmm. You so know? people are listening and they wanted to write a poem for their mother. Yes. Mother's Day. So yes. Is that, is that what you suggest? Like think yes. of your mom? Yes. Or, you know. I suggest you write down, I love it when my mother blah, blah, or I remember my mother doing, or uh, give yourself a line and just write, just finish each line, repeat, repeat, because poetry is a lot repetition, and see what comes out. You know, I wrote a poem that's in another book called I Wore This Dress Today for You, Mom, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the poems about my parents resonate with people the most because it connects with people Mm -hmm. the most. And it was Easter Sunday, and I remember just thinking, um, I would like to wear a dress for her today because we used to wear dresses, even though we were church-going people. But Easter Sunday had some impact because we grew up. I grew up in New York, mm-hmm. so Easter Sunday was a big deal, the parade. And I just wrote down this line: "I wore this dress today for you, Mom." And another poem sort of came out, like thirst did, just mm-hmm. sort of poured out of me. And uh, I think. Everyone can use that prompt. Go yes. go for it. Right. I wore this dress today for you, Mom, and write your poem. And you know what? Your mother would love that more than the spa gift certificate. Or you yes. could give her both. <laughs> give her both. I don't know. Not my mother. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted the certificate. Okay, that's all I can tell you. 
<laughs> you know, the the title poem, Sunbathing on Tyrone Powers' Grave, did you actually sunbathe on Tyrone Powers' Grave? Is I that did. Where it came from? I did. I did. And I, I moved here in the late 70s from Boston. It was freezing cold. You know, we all had that experience, like, I'll never be cold again, like yes. the Scarlet O'Hara <laughs> thing. I'll never go hungry again. And uh, I used to wear a bathing suit under my clothes all the time because someone had a pool somewhere. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Thinking. Yeah, that's right. good yeah, I was a positive thinker yeah. Yeah. in those days. Just manifesting pools. <laughs> yeah, manifesting pools. Do you have a pool? You know, I'd be on the bus. I don't know how to drive yet. Do you have a pool? But, um, you know, Hollywood Forever is a great cemetery. No, one I'm of right. my favorites. Yeah. I've been to yeah. movie screenings there. Exactly. Where you can sit in the graves. And yeah. There. You can be in the graves with the dead people, yes. actually. it's Ooh. No, that's a joke. That's a very bad Poetry joke. Anyway, um, but the, in those days, it was very run down, and no one was kind of watching over it. Now it's a big deal. Like you say, they have screenings. But um, Tyrone Power has a beautiful headstone a bench, a white marble bench. I was like, wow, no one was around. It's right by the swans and the very sunny spot. And I would lie down there and, you know, sunbathe a little bit. And I wrote down sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave in my notebook. And I did not find that for years and years and years. I found a little piece of paper recently. And so many of the books in this, po- in this book are not about death, but they're a lot about getting older. And I thought that's the perfect title uh-huh. for this book. It is a fantastic title. Yeah. And I love Thank that you. you did it. And now, and now I want to see that grave site. Yeah, mm-hmm. go to it. It's fa- it's really nice. You can pi- you can have a picnic on Tyrone Power's grave. <laughs> See, that's something you don't hear about. Travel tips on other shows. <laughs> You're gonna get Hollywood Boulevard. Bring your yet. kids. That's right by the Swans, and yeah, nice. Kim, do you feel like it's you've been out on this book tour now? You've really been traveling a lot. Good for you, bringing you. poetry across the country. Do you feel like now is a good time for poetry in America? People are open to it, or do you worry about poetry in America? Well, I I don't want to have to worry about one more thing, right? But um, <laughs> but I I do I'm concerned about how poetry is taught and has been taught for so many of us who are like I don't like poetry. It's like saying I don't like food. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a poem for everyone, uh, but it is a great time for poetry in this country because, for one thing, we have the Internet, and there's so much of of our poetry can be published on the Internet. There's contests, online competitions, all kinds of great things where we can send poems in. Uh, Fewer gatekeepers than there used to be. Fewer gatekeepers, and it's, you know, it's good and bad, really. But mainly it's good because you can get your voice out there, you can write, you can be heard. You know, uh, I don't usually write political poetry. That's not like my thing. But in the last couple of years, you know, really, who can, who can, it's been on your mind. It, it's been on my mind. And I and the poems are about what I see and feel every day. So, mm-hmm. you know, there you go. But there was a website and they had it was um, sort of a contest where they had the seven banned words. The CDC was banned seven words okay. in 1997 that they couldn't use. And you could, they were asking for people to write poems using those seven words. 
And that was a fantastic. We were all doing it, and I got the poem there. I see FCC, not the CDC. No, no, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, was banned really? using. Why would they ban words? Well, do you want to hear what they were? Well, it, I, I, they're okay. It's a podcast. They're okay. For family. No, it's okay. We don't have George Carlin's words oh, okay. here. Oh, okay. I thought they were but George they banned uh, fetus, oh, okay. transgender, oh. science based, oh. evidence based, okay. diversity, vulnerability, and entitlement. Oh, okay. All right. And Got so it. Um, that was a website. And there's all kinds of things like that where you they give prompts. You can write a poem, send them in. So people are using poetry as it should be used to slowly, one at a time, change the world, mm-hmm. change our thinking, change the way we feel, change the way we see things. That's what poetry can do. Thank you, Kim. All right. Stay right here because we're going to do something we've never done on Satellite Sisters. We're going to have you, quote, play us out with a poem. Great. Uh, One of the poems from your book, Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave, that I think the Satellite Sisterhood will love. Dogs and Poetry is the title (laughs) of the poem. But first, we need to do a little business. We'd like to thank our engineer, Sergio Enriquez, uh, for being here today. We would like to thank our sponsors. Thank you for supporting the show, and thanks to all of you that support the people that support us. We have a special Mother's Day greeting. Happy Mother's Happy Day, Mother's to, all Day to all the mothers out there. Yeah. We're thinking of you. Any kind of mother. Yeah. You're yeah. We're wishing <laughs> yeah. you well. That's, that is true. That, that is Maybe true. especially that's Meghan Markle, said, but all the mothers. When I said that, but I meant it in the nicest way. Yes, yes. right. Stepmothers, godmothers, yeah. women yeah. who New step mothers, in. old mothers, grandmothers. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Happy mother- all mothers. All yep. mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And sisters, have a great week. You too, Leanne. We always, you too, Leanne. We always remind people, don't forget, call your satellite sister. But uh, don't forget, read a poem this week. Don't forget. All right, Kim, take it away. Dogs and poetry. Dogs and poetry. Last night, I dreamed dogs were giving a reading in my living room. Long-haired, handsome, golden, and chocolate. Teacup poodles, a mix or two, panting, stacked on a loft, pouncing one at a time onto center stage couch, poems wet in their teeth. Collies on edge, pugs in love, shepherds fierce with loyalty, labs with their hot heads in my lap. I was sitting with them, coaching, petting, biscuits by my side, rewards for their poems, mostly about love which astonished the audience. A miracle, so fresh, original, they barked in iambic pentameter, singing the blues, these dogs were so damn cool, we all wanted to nibble their pink bellies, suck life into our tired souls. I'm clicking my fingers because that was really good. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. All right, everybody, don't forget, call your satellite sister.